0: Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. I want to speak today on ending well. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. I've been in this podcast for the last 10 weeks. We've been talking about the life and leadership of King David. I hope it's been a great blessing to you. I hope you've listened to every single one of them. But if you've missed any or all of the previous ones, you can get them. They're all archived. I hope you'll go back through and listen to every single one of them. But if you have missed all the previous nine, I hope that you'll watch this one. This will be a blessing to you. I want you to have it. Take the end of David's life and deal with ending well. There's one great question about David. Why is David called a man after God's own heart? That's the number one question that I get when I teach on the life and leadership of King David. Indeed, it is a very difficult question to respond to, and I don't know that I have the answer, but I want to give you four answers, four reasons. Now, was he indeed called a man after God's own heart? Yes, he was called a man after God's own heart prophetically by Samuel before we actually meet King David. In other words, Samuel says to Saul, the kingdom will be taken away from you and given to a man who is a man after God's own heart. Now, we could be dismissive of that by saying that uh, Samuel had not met David, didn't know about some of his disasters, the census and his adultery and, the murder of Uriah the Hittite. But but the fact of the matter is, a thousand years later, knowing everything that we know about the life of King David, Saul of Tarsus, uh, who became St. Paul, St. Paul wrote about David that God called him a man after God's own heart and from his DNA brought the Messiah, even Jesus. So in other words, David is called a man after God's own heart before we meet him and a thousand years after his death. So everything about David is known and he's still called by God, a man after God's own heart. So what do we say to these things? First of all, I just want to, I want to say that David at the end of his life is concerned about others. David is, is literally dying. And he uses the last ounce of his strength to do things to get ready for the transition of power. First of all, he restructures the national bureaucracy, all of the offices, all of the bureaucrats, all of the people in the national offices there in Jerusalem. He restructures all that to get ready for the next king, who is to be Solomon, of course, but he's getting ready for the next leadership. The second thing that he does is he restructures the religious and musical bureaucracy. There is leadership around all that, who leads worship, who are the the worship leaders, all of that. David takes time, restructures all of that religious leadership. Then David prepares for the construction of the temple. If you'll remember, David wanted to build that temple and God would not allow him. God said, "No, that temple is to be built by the next generation. It'll be built by Solomon. But David wants to do what he can do to get ready for that. So David gets the architectural plans ready. He gets the material assembled. David conducts a massive capital campaign, and it's a classical i've I've run capital campaigns. I've consulted with other churches and ministries and organizations to do capital campaigns. It's a classic pyramid, top givers, leaders, down to the next level, down to the until the general people give. It's it's just like you would cap, run a capital campaign in, in the 21st century. And David, by the way, makes the largest and most generous lead gift. And he raises a massive amount of, of money. Uh, economists who claim to know these things, and we have to take their word for it, I guess, they say that if you take the money that he raised in that capital campaign, and make it into U.S. dollars in the 21st century, he raised $56 billion, with a B, $56 billion. Pretty nifty capital campaign. All of that was to prepare for the temple to be built. And remember, David knew that his name was never going to be out front. It was never going to be called David's temple. It was going to be called Solomon's temple. David did all of that selflessly. The greatest leaders at the end of their ministry and at the end of their and leadership are preparing for the next leadership. They have to keep the wrong people from coming into leadership. David had to fight off one of his sons, Adonijah, who was going to try to usurp the crown and take Solomon's place. David had to fight Adonijah off. So in transition, you have to keep the wrong people out of leadership. You have to get the right people into leadership, and then you have to grease the rails for them the best that you can. You prepare, you get your cash on hand at a high enough level. You you try to prepare for leadership and get the organization in place so that they their success or failure is up to them, but at least you get it as as well prepared as possible. So David does all of that to prepare for the selection and the succession to the next king. And Solomon takes the throne. Now, that leaves us still with the question, why is David called a man after God's own heart? Certainly, he was a mixed vessel. We've dealt with that. I've been very frank in here about that. David's sins, his weaknesses, his failings, he made great decisions, he made bad decisions. So, David isn't called a man after God's own heart because he's perfect. He's decidedly not perfect. Why is he then called a man after God's own heart? I want to give you four thoughts. First of all, David's fundamental filter through which he viewed all of life, all of his decision-making. Certainly, he made bad decisions. Sometimes he ignored the filter. But the fiber of David's being, the core of his being, was that David loved the God of the land and people of Israel. And he loved the land and people of the God of Israel. David's heart of hearts was towards selfless leadership, the people of God and the God of the people. David loved God. Sometimes that love of God did not prevail over David's decisions. He made terrible decisions at times, but he would repent of those and turn back to God. But the the filter through which all of his perceptions of life, everything that he saw in life, his decisions moral, his best, highest decisions. David, as Lincoln might say, his, his brightest angel was always because he loved the God of the people, and he loved the people of God, and he loved the land, Haretz Israel. He loved Israel, he loved Jerusalem, and he loved the God of Israel. The second thing was this. David was spiritually sensitive. In other words, he might bludgeon that spiritual sensitivity into insensibility. He might silence it. He might override it and make and commit a sin. But deep within him, at the core of his being, David was very spiritually sensitive. He wrote, Who can write Psalm 23? Who writes that? It is one of the most beloved and frequently used and quoted passages of scripture in two of the world's great religions. 3,000 years after he wrote it. What beautiful language. What beautiful sensitivity. David is, in a very real way, numbered among the prophets. I think that one of David's greatest contributions spiritually is not Psalm 23, which everyone knows, but Psalm 22. If you'll remember, on the cross, Jesus quotes the first verse of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus doesn't lie there on that cross, hang there on that cross, naked, humiliated in unspeakable agony. He's not thinking to himself, what could I do to affirm King David? That has to come up from inside of him. In other words, that passage had to be prophetic. David wrote Psalm 22, which is a prophetic revelation of the cross, a thousand years before Jesus was crucified. So, so David is, is spiritually sensitive. Third is the sovereign issue. David is the choice of God. That's the, that is the hardest thing in the world to, to teach on. I, I don't know how to teach the, the sovereign choice of God. Two leaders, two preachers, two executives, two presidents, And somehow God just reaches in and lays his hand on one. You can't even always explain it. This one may not be more righteous than the other. This one may not be more talented or more capable. It's the sovereign choice of God. Now, I just want to say this. Before you harangue God to be his choice, you may want to say this to yourself. Being the choice of God may not be all that it's cracked up to be. God has always felt perfectly willing to jerk his prophets through knotholes. John the Baptist was also the choice of God, and they cut his head off. Jesus was the choice of God, and they crucified him. So David was the choice of God, but that being the choice of God really turned David's life into violence and chaos from his childhood on. And David was still in a struggle for, for that on his deathbed. So the third reason is, yes, David, it was simply the sovereign choice of God. And the fourth is this. David's indomitable spirit of commitment to work for God, to be God's man. I always envisioned David as one of these uh, powerful running backs in American football. If if they get through the line and come at you, you may tackle them, but they're going to hurt you almost as much as you hurt them. They're coming at you ferociously fixed on one goal, the end zone. They're going for that goal line. You may bring them down. You may tackle them, but they're going to fall for three and a half yards because their their momentum, their force, their direction is so fixed on that goal. Furthermore, you may tackle them once, but they're going to rise again and again and again. If David were speaking to us right now, he would say, you may fall, but fall forward fall at the foot of the cross, rise and go again, get up and go again, and again, and again, and again. David David just kept coming back. Every failure, every, every collapse, every wound, every setback, David was a man after God's own heart in pursuit of the heart of God. Those four things then, I think, define David's victorious endgame. He was fundamentally uh, in love with God and the God of the people. He was spiritually sensitive. He was a a prophetic spirit. He was the choice of God, and he was fixed on the goal, an indomitable, committed spirit. Have you had some setbacks? Have you fallen or failed or been defeated? Get up and go again. It's not how the game has gone up to this point. End well. That's what David did. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this series on the life and leadership of King David. I hope you're looking forward to a great Christmas, a great new year. I I want God to just bless you in a wonderful way. I have mentioned these books. I want you to have them. It's the last-minute Christmas shopping. You can still do it. If you go to drmarkrutland.com and enter the promo code NOTEBOOK2020, you'll get 40% off everything you load in that cart. Load it up. Do all your Christmas shopping. And by doing so, you bless our girls' homes. Every penny of your purchase, none of it comes to me, every penny of your purchase goes to our foreign missions program at Global Servants and particularly to our girls' homes, House of Grace in Thailand and West Africa in Ghana. So I hope you'll also go to globalservants.org. You can receive a free copy of our We Serve magazine. Find out how you can be personally involved in helping little girls find big destinies. Until we meet again, this is Mark Rutland. Thank you for joining me on The Leader's Notebook. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.